Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. Awesome show to recap the draft for you guys today. We are going to have AtlantaFalcons.com beat reporter Tori McElhaney on to recap all seven rounds. I know the Falcons, you know, only had the first six rounds to really worry about. Thank God for that. Um, But we will get into, you know, really what the picks mean for uh, the future of this franchise, what all of the coaches told Tori, because she had a really interesting and unique opportunity to talk to some of the scouts uh, about each of these selections. So she shares a little bit of that knowledge with all of us. Um, And then what she learned at the press conference, uh, talking to Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot after each of these picks. So it's going to be, you know, it's a great conversation. We've already had it. Spoiler alert. So I know it's great. Um, But I one of the things that I really appreciate about Tori is for her ability to to be optimistic while still being, you know, very reasonable and which that's something that I try to bring as well, because we don't know what these guys are going to pan out to be. But we want the best for them, obviously. Like nobody wants to to wish anybody to fail. So you make these selections, and yeah, we try to sit here and critique them, and that's what I'm getting at. Is is Tori does a very good job of saying, well, you know, he needs to work on this, he needs to work on this, but here's what's uh, worth getting excited about when it comes to X player. Um, and I think I approach the game in much the same way. So I think that comes through a lot in our conversation. Um, and one of the first things that she and I will talk about, which is what I want to get into today, is a little bit of not breaking news, but some big news. Grady Jarrett signs a three-year contract extension um, with the Atlanta Falcons, reportedly worth uh, you know, $51 million, but we haven't gotten the final numbers on that. Again, early numbers uh, for guaranteed money, 34.5, not official, but that's big news. Uh, I, you know, on this podcast speculated freely <laughs> that that things were possibly up with Grady Jarrett and this franchise. Just kind of reading the tea leaves there, there was some legitimate reporting that that perhaps the timelines for the two uh, parties was not as aligned maybe as it once was. None of that matters. Uh, their timelines are now very much aligned for at least the foreseeable future. So this is a three-year extension on top of his 2022 deal, which would put him in the fold here in Atlanta uh, through the 2025 season. That's huge. Not only for his production on the field, again, one of the best interior defensive tackles in the league, but as a leader in the locker room. And and Grady is first and foremost, I think, the leader in that locker room now. Certainly with Matt Ryan gone, it's, it's guys like Jake Matthews and it's guys like Grady Jarrett who are going to have to step up and really kind of on both sides of the ball, take control of their respective units. But Grady's been doing that for years and there's nobody on that roster who I want to ring for more than Grady. And that's just because of the level of work that I saw him put day in and day out. He treated the first day of training camp, like the last day of training camp and the last day of training camp, like a practice in December, like he was getting ready for the playoffs. So he brought it every single day. He always showed up. He handled his business in the right way. And then he's a huge asset in the community as well with the numerous charities he's involved in, giving back, uh, mentoring kids, 
I've, I've gotten to see this in, in action. It was one of the pleasures and joys of my role when working for the Atlanta Falcons was getting to see these guys in elements outside of football and nobody performed better in that spotlight than Grady Jarrett. Um, but what else is new? Because the guy, uh, comes from a great family has always done things the right way. And I'm very excited to have him here in Atlanta for, you know, hopefully the next three or four years and hopefully for many more years beyond that, because he is that good of a player. And if there's anybody that deserves to here come the dreaded words, be a Falcon for life, uh, it would be somebody like Grady Jarrett. So that's all I'm going to say about the Grady news. We'll get more details on his contract situation, what the actual numbers are uh, probably here in the next few days. But let's get to my conversation about the draft with Tori McElhaney right after this. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. So head over there to find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, the Major League Baseball season, the biggest upcoming fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And man, how the draft has changed some of those. So head over to Bet Online and check them out today. And don't forget, guys, this weekend, the Kentucky Derby, the run to the roses, baby. They got all of the latest odds on all of the favorites for the big event. It's America's you know, favorite gambling uh, sport. So definitely get involved with Bet Online for that. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, guys, use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to get started. Bet Online, where the game starts. Tori McElhaney, the beat reporter for AtlantaFalcons.com, who is, you know, as well-versed on everything going on with the Falcons as you possibly could be, uh, given, given her situation over there. But want to talk about the draft. We will get to that really quickly. Um, but I want to start off with Grady Jarrett. You know, Tori, the extension has come. I think there was some concern that maybe it wouldn't, uh, especially given the way that kind of language around the relationship with Grady Jarrett has evolved over the past few weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Grady Jarrett? And, you know, hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. No, thank you for having me on. I know it's been a, a crazy, crazy, I was about to say day, but it's been a crazy two weeks. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's jump into the Grady Jarrett stuff. Here's the thing about the Grady Jarrett news that I think is really interesting is that I feel that it's kind of the culmination of a story that started a year ago. I remember this time last year being like, the way that the Falcons are going to get uh, some cap space is if they restructure Grady Jarrett. And then the more that you think <laughs> yeah. about it, the more it was like, and the more it didn't happen, it was like, wait a minute, is Grady Jarrett a fit for Dean Pease's scheme? That was something that over and over and over again, people brought up to me. I thought a lot about, especially heading into training camp in the season. But what's really interesting is that even though I guess technically he doesn't fit Dean Pease's scheme <laughs> the way yeah. some people think that he should, any defensive coordinator would want Grady Jarrett on their team. And that is a fact. And I think that you look at, I actually just tweeted this quote out because I thought it was so great 
back in the 2021 season, about midway through the season, Dean P said, if there is a player that you want young players to aspire to be, it is Grady Jarrett. And so no the fact, question. right. The, the fact that not only was people were people saying like, Oh, the reason why Grady didn't get extended last year was because he didn't fit Dean Pisa's scheme and they were trying to get blah, 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 whatever, whatever. The fact that, Dean Pease and Grady Jarrett both come into the 2021 season and Dean Pease essentially falls in love with Grady Jarrett and who he is as a player and a person. And Dean has said from the get-go that you fit your scheme to the players and who you have available. When you have Grady Jarrett there, you make it work. And that is what <laughs> Dean Pease, I think, is doing. And I think this uh, three-year extension that we're seeing happening today, which is Tuesday, is just kind of the culmination of that story. And I think that's really fun to, to look at as far as like where maybe the Falcons were at this time last year with the new staff coming in and maybe not necessarily knowing if Grady Jarrett was going to work out long-term. Mm -hmm. And here they are a year later giving him a three-year extension. That's it's, it's fun. As storytellers, <laughs> you know, like that part, that part of the job is so fun to kind of connect the dots. Well, and it's also a testament to the type of, person and player that Grady is because yes. when you bring in a new coaching staff, a new front office, everybody is on notice, whether it's a player, whether it's a front office, you know, personnel member, whether it's a, you know, an assistant trainer, everybody's kind of now being evaluated with fresh eyes with people who they don't necessarily have a history to. And it's very telling that in a, in a, you know, unfortunately two off season window when a lot of leaders on this team and organization have gone elsewhere. Yep. That they looked at Grady and said, no, you know, not only do we want to have him here for the short term and we're looking to renegotiate some of his his deal or move money around to make him more feasible in the short term. No, he's a long term piece and we want to extend him outright. And that is you know, a good way to to move your money around to make it a little bit more feasible and flexible with what you want to do. But you don't want to lose a player like Grady. And you and I have been fortunate enough to to see him up close, to talk to him, to to work with him. One of the, my favorite things and one of the reasons why I will always respect Grady Jarrett as a person, you know, regardless of what he accomplishes on the field, is during some of the worst moments over the last you know, three, four years, kind of my time when I was covering the team, he was the one that was always accountable. He was the one that yeah. was always staying in his locker room. He was or, or in his locker, in the locker room. He was the one that was always willing to not necessarily give full answers on the hardest questions, but be there to answer the hardest questions in the best way that he saw fit, give some type of explanation for the state of the organization. And, and that means something because it's not enough just to be, you know, a leader kind of when the doors are closed and when your teammates are there, he's a leader in yep. the community, he's a leader for the fan base in the media, and he's a leader in that locker room. And so, yeah, may, maybe he's not the perfect one-to-one -one fit scheme-wise on paper for what this defense does, but when you factor in all of those other things, I think makes a lot of sense for why the Falcons want Grady Jarrett to continue to be a face for this franchise moving forward. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I have so much respe respect for Grady Jarrett, the person. Like, let's not even talk about the player. I mean, that, <laughs> that's the thing is like we can cut on tape all day long and, and see the fear that Grady Jarrett strikes into opposing offenses, which literally all you have to do is cut on any tape because oh, offensive yeah. coordinators and offensive linemen have to know where Grady Jarrett is at all points in time, period. And so I think <laughs> that is that in and of itself draws so much respect. But Grady Jarrett, the person, draws even more because like what you said, he has always been 
such a steady figure in that locker room that through everything and what you're saying, even asking the tough questions, even when things suck, let's be honest, like (laughs) even when things absolutely suck, Grady Jarrett is there to be the voice of this organization to a certain extent. And, And I think that is very commendable. Um, or someone like Grady Jarrett, who I, I think is one of the best defensive tackles in the league. And I, I think I would love to see the the league take notice of that. I know he's a two-time pro bowler, <laughs> but I, I do think that there's even more recognition recognition to be had. So I think moving forward, the one thing that, you know, now the Falcons have their guy. Now you have Grady Jarrett until 2025. What are you going to do around him to help this guy out? Because that is where this organization goes from here. I think you you start started to see that process in the draft. Got two outside linebackers now, and they're technically yeah. on their roster. They're outside linebackers, but we all know they're edge rushers. Um, but it, you have those guys. You have some other guys that you've brought in long term. What are you looking at as far as helping Grady Jarrett be the Grady Jarrett that we all know that he is, and and getting him back to the production that he had in those Pro Bowl years. So I, I think that's where the organization now goes from here because it's not enough to get these guys in. You have to develop these guys because when they develop, Grady Jarrett gets freed up a lot more. A lot of pressure is taken off of him. I mean, man, the man is double teamed, triple teamed <laughs> every single game multiple times. So being able to free Grady Jarrett up in some way, shape, or form is where this organization goes next. Yeah, great. Grady has the hardest job of anybody out there on Sunday, I feel like, and, you know, anybody in that stadium. Um, but you, you mentioned the, uh, the help that he's going to get. Of course, you're talking about Tyler Algier and Justin Schaefer, you know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Of course, those two guys, for yeah, sure. Those, those are the edge rushers they have in mind. Right, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this is a good transition to the, to the draft because, yeah, I think me personally, when I was, because of some of the speculation about whether or not the Falcons timeline, I think, suited Grady's timeline. And it, it kind of seemed like if you stripped everything back, that's maybe where, if there was any friction, that may have been where it stemmed from. And, and it's totally understandable because Grady prepares at a championship level and it's got to be as frustrating for him as anybody to see kind of the results on the field not be there for a team. So you get where if there was any frustration kind of, you know, uh, if, the, if the Falcons were on one path and they viewed this as a certain year project and, and Grady's ready to win now because he knows he's in his prime, totally understandable. But I'm glad that they could get it done. As I was looking at the draft, though, I, I was wondering if the Falcons were going to have a little bit of a chance here to reset this front in the way that they wanted to. And I think that's where the Jordan Davis stuff kind of all played into it a little bit. They decided not to do that. It makes a lot more sense now, given right. this extension that Grady Jarrett signed, that he was always in their plans, or at least is now in their plans. And that <laughs> allowed them the freedom to, to maybe go elsewhere. Drake London with number eight, I think a lot of people thought defense would be the pick. I know that they mentioned after they made that pick um, during the press conference that they started that run on wide receivers. Given where Jermaine Johnson ended up going, it now looks like they made the right call, that they kind of knew where the draft was going, what teams were thinking. The decision to take the number one receiver on their board versus a, a defensive impact playmaker, you know, what did they tell you about that decision? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And I think a lot of this, a lot of their decision-making, I think, did stem from the fact that they really felt good that Grady Jarrett was going to come back. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, it's fun. I say fun. It's interesting looking back on the draft day decisions, <laughs> especially day one and day two, yeah. um, knowing what we now know that Grady Jarrett was in the midst of signing a three-year extension with the Falcons. I think that goes into such a major that like I can't think of this draft class and not think about that like it, and yeah. that's really interesting to think about um now however many days we are removed from the draft it's a puzzle um, draft it's like the it more is. that the draft unfolds we get like more pieces and then it all starts to make sense yes and then because I was really curious as to why they took uh Tyler Algier and I'm like you do not need another running back you yeah. have a, a you have so many guys in that room and then you, <laughs> they released Mike Davis yesterday so Yep. It, it all starts to slowly make sense. Now, what I have to say about taking Drake London at number eight versus maybe a defensive player, I think it would have been a different conversation had some of those defensive ends or even some of those cornerbacks fallen. If you're looking at taking Kayvon Thibodeau, Sauce Gardner, or Drake London there at number eight, I think it's mm-hmm. a completely different conversation but the fact that those guys were already taken and Drake London is sitting there at number eight, I think it just makes it an easier pill to swallow for some people. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think it's really interesting too because I was I kept getting a lot of questions after Thursday night and then into Friday morning about why the Falcons took Drake London and not. Garrett Wilson. See, I was trying to plant those seeds early on, Tori. I was like, it's going to be Drake if it's going to be a receiver. It just like, it makes too much sense. Yes, exactly. And that's what I said too. Even in my seven round mock draft that I did the week before, I had, I had the Falcons trading down a little bit to get Drake London, but I still had them taking Drake London because of all the receivers that we knew were going to go in the first round. Drake London is an Arthur Smith guy and and that's what I tried to keep telling people because I was like look I was like I know technically Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams are the more flashier of the receivers they're quicker like they they have more (laughs) of the look of what people like assume I think receivers are but Arthur Smith has said almost if he said it once he said it 30 times I am sure this offseason go out and get me a big body receiver go Mm -hmm. out and get me somebody who can take a hit and keep going five yards. You know, like I I really do think that this is what was happening in those conversations about, okay, what wide receiver do we as the Falcons organization value? And right now they value a guy who's a big body like Drake London to kind of go. and, And it's interesting because we've seen that pattern over the last year. They go out and they get Kyle Pitts. This offseason, they've signed a guy like Auden Tate. Yep. Now they got uh, Drake London at number eight overall in the type. draft. They, they have, have a tie, <laughs> and it's like it, it's it's like the the blueprint is right there, people. If we just look for two seconds, you would realize exactly <laughs> why the Falcons wanted to go after a guy like Drake London. Yeah, and but I think it's even more a little bit more than size. Like when when we say that Arthur Smith wants somebody like Drake London, the easy thing to point to is all right, well. They just like big wide receivers. You've got A.J. Brown in Tennessee. You know, you, they like big body dudes, Derrick Henry, all these guys, um, Taylor Lewan, just these like massive players. And then you see that here in Atlanta with Kyle Pitts and Drake London. But the key thing that I think they talked about and I saw in film while watching these receivers during or during the pre-draft process, Drake London is by far the most versatile in terms of how you can scheme him up. Yes, yes like 
Garrett Wilson is a really smooth kind of athlete in space, plucks the ball away from his body as a dynamic player. Like it would not shock me if he has multiple kind of those Antonio Brown highlights from back in the day where it's a slant that he just breaks up the seam and runs away from dudes for like a 48 yard touchdown. He's capable of that. So is Chris Olave. Jamison Williams is the closest we've seen to Tyreek level speed since Tyreek. But based on how the Falcons used their offense last year, it was so much formation and personnel misdirection based on what the actual play call ended up being. You would go five wide out of a 22 personnel grouping. (laughs) Like that's what they want to do. And that is what Drake London does so well. He's the best blocker of any of the guys that were mentioned kind of in that part of the draft. He's going to be able to line up tighter to the line of scrimmage, give you a two-way go, or block down against a linebacker and seal the edge on a run play. So it's going to give the Falcons more of that play-calling flexibility to give defenses similar looks while giving them a lot of different post-snap looks. And for that reason, like that is what I think Arthur Smith values in an offense. And so more than just size, it's Drake London's ability to be used as a screen player on reverses, move inside and block, move inside and run multiple routes or go outside and get jump balls. Like he just unlocks, I think what uh, Arthur Smith kind of envisions this offense really being as a number one wide receiver. And so that's kind of why I think it makes a lot of sense for them to have gone particularly with Drake London, as opposed to somebody like a Traylon Burks or a Chris Olave or somebody like that. Um, but you mentioned the edge help coming for Grady. So let's kind of pivot to, uh, to day two here. Arnold Evacati and D'Angelo Malone. Obviously, Evacati is going to be the more high profile, kind of probably from day one slotting into this, whether it's in a rotation or, hey, you're our starter and, and we'll get you some, some breathers when you need it. But looking at Evacati, he seems like a very well-rounded type of player. We mentioned Dean P's liking to run multiple fronts. He's proven he can do that. He can put his hand in the dirt in kind of a 4-3 look, or he can stand up and rush as a 3-4 edge. What are your thoughts of Evacati and what did the team say after his selection? Yeah, Ebiketti was a guy who I think the Falcons were targeting for a while. I, I it think seems that like they, it. Yes, I think that they were. And this just goes off of my conversations that I had kind of in the building and then also what they were, what Terry and Arthur were saying um, in the press conference because I was able to talk to um, every single position coach of the draft pick and every area scout that was yeah this was really cool i saw this yeah yeah this was this is something that i had so much fun with people were asking me like why i wasn't in certain press conferences and it was like i promise you you're gonna get to see all that content (laughs) i was actually in a ton of press conferences it just were it were just interviews that you haven't seen yet but yeah i got to interview um all the position coaches and all the area scouts for every single draft pick and in those conversations those conversations were vital for me to understand kind of the Falcons thinking. And for a guy like Arnold Ebuchetti, it was very much a situation where I think they valued him very, very high. And they knew they wanted to get him with that first pick in the second round. The second. Okay. And, and they were very much like, okay, we're going to do what we got to do to get him because we think that these four uh edge rushers are going to go in the first round you you knew you knew that you knew even with the jermaine johnson falling to mm-hmm. where he did you still knew that jermaine johnson was going to be a first round pick arnold yeah. abiketti is he, he right was a there he was a fringe, he was a fringe, fringe. Yeah, yeah he was right there and i think when the falcons saw that arnold abiketti fell to the second round they went into that friday day two being like this is our guy. Let's go get him. 
and mm-hmm. I, I and, and we saw the trade up to get him. Yep. And I think that is very telling for one, the type of player that they believe him to be and how much they still very much were valuing the need to find a a good edge rusher to come in, not to mm-hmm. play a depth role, but to potentially play a starting or rotational role. I mean, that's the thing is like, Ebiketti is going to get a lot of reps in his rookie <laughs> year, period. Like, I, I, I keep saying that. I keep saying that, but like, it is so, it's so true. I feel like all of these things that we're talking about are very obvious and evident, but it, it's for Ebiketti specifically, you know, you look at the room overall, you have Ebiketti, you have Adi Ogandeji, you have Lorenzo Carter. Uh, these are all pieces that we have not really talked a lot about at all because they haven't been here. Like uh, Ade, Ade Ogandeji. <laughs> he's the veteran the only, in the room. The, yeah, he's the only one who's been here in Atlanta for over a, a two-month time period. So <laughs> these are all players that are outside of Lorenzo Carter, but I think Lorenzo Carter right. has something to prove by coming to Atlanta. Um, I, I do think it's going to be a good fit. I, I would like to see his production continue to escalate as the year goes on. We saw what he could do, what he did in those final five games of the 2021 season. I hope that continues for him. But with these other guys, even uh, D'Angelo Malone, which you know, I'm sure yep. you'll have questions about him too. Let's but, segue right in there. Just uh, like, give me your yeah. thoughts. How does he fit in? I, I love this pick too. I think he reminds me a lot of kind of the way that you looked at Ade Ogundeji last draft class you know last year you're looking at Ade and you're like okay like he can develop into a a, a guy like one day and then as the (laughs) season goes on you're like Ade is out there all the freaking time I think that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen for D'Angelo Malone I think you're going to see these young guys get bukus of reps in their rookie year is these two uh, Ebiketti and Malone specifically Mm -hmm. Ade's going to be in there all the time. Lorenzo Carter's going to be. I mean, these guys are young and they are almost like sponges. And I think if you're Dean Pease, if you're Ted Monachino, who's the uh, Falcons outside linebackers coach, I have to think you're super excited that you have three really talented, long, fast, like just exciting, <laughs> like just exciting young guys. Yeah. to mold into what you want them to be. You see the potential. That's why you got them is because you believe that they can be something. Well, now you have them in the building. And I just can't imagine that like Ted Monachino isn't sitting there like, just let me at these guys. Let me show them <laughs> what to do, what we need them to be. Um, that's really exciting. And I know that they're going to take their bumps in the road as every rookie does. But I think long-term, this is something that, they're really, really trying to build this position group. They really are. And I really think that so far, these are some smart picks that they have put together. And I think moving forward, you're going to have money next year yep, towards yep. the salary cap. I It wouldn't surprise me if they go out and get a veteran that like really anchors that group. So I think they're in a good position right now. And I think that no, this isn't going to be a situation where the Falcons are going to be the best pass rushing team in the <laughs> NFL next year. By God, no. Right. But this is a long-term play. And if you're looking at two years down the road, three years down the road, I would like to think that this edge rusher position is going to be in, in such a better state 
than it was when Terry and Arthur came in here. Yeah, I mean, if they could go from 18 sacks to 20 sacks, that's improvement. Hey, you know, that is a step in step in the right direction. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been trying to maybe prepare people for the, because of the salary cap stuff that's going to be coming off the books next offseason and Terry's kind of propensity to say that they would like to fill needs in free agency. I almost look at the Ebicady pick as like you are drafting your Scottie Pippen and then hoping mm. to go find your Michael Jordan. Like mm, that's that, a good point. Kind of that deal where I don't know if he's the guy that's coming in and in three years is your 12 to, to 15 sack a year guy. Right. I think he's better suited to be maybe like an eight to 10 as like your number two. And you're still waiting to go maybe get your bona fide number one. Maybe he can develop into that because I think the thing that you really liked seeing from him at the college level was year to year progression at Penn yes. State. He's somebody who freshman, you know, two sacks, sophomore, five and a half sacks, junior, nine and a half sacks like that improved. Um, statistical production year over year, something NFL teams really like to see because it shows coachability, it shows a drive from the player, all of that good stuff. And that's what he has. And, and then when I think of D'Angelo Malone, my first thought, but I, I like your Ade uh, comp, but it reminded me a lot of the Michael Walker pick, just mm. in, in terms of like, they clearly see some skills that they can transfer. Now, I hope that he sees more of the field than Michael Walker has, unfortunately. But it's like every time Michael Walker's out on the field, they use him in the exact correct way because he makes plays. And I hope, again, D'Angelo Malone will probably have a much bigger role as that kind of sub pass rusher who they can bring in. But yeah, it's somebody who I didn't know a lot about beforehand, but you clearly can see that he's got the skills to play at this level. It's just now how can they develop, develop those secondary skills around it to really round him out as a player. Somebody who has seemingly every skill that you could want to use, but just maybe a little raw in terms of the experience is Troy Anderson, um, yes. who may become like everybody's favorite player. Yes. Yeah, it's becoming rote <laughs> at this point, but I keep I keep comparing him to Taysom Hill just like on the defensive side of the ball because he seems like he can do every little thing. If they put him on special teams and he became a all-pro special teams player, it wouldn't surprise me. What did they say about Troy Anderson? Because it seems like in the aftermath, nobody can stop talking about this guy, even though we had really no clue who he was coming into it. I think that Troy Anderson is the best player that I had no earthly idea about. <laughs> I I would be lying to you if I was if I sat here and said, "Oh yeah, I remember watching tape on Troy Anderson." And this I, is why we all do it to like yes. find this one player that we can all plant plan our flag on and be like Troy Anderson, calling it before anybody else. And none of us had any idea no. who this guy was. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I definitely did not. I was not, and it was shocking to me too that Nicobe Dean sitting right there on the board. And exactly. Exactly. Then you go for a guy like Troy Anderson. But when you watch Troy Anderson and when you really get into the nitty gritty of the type of player that he is, you just kind of see how freaky he is, like as yeah. an athlete. And I think that's what really, truly uh, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith value. They value mm -hmm. versatility. And you have seen that, that we've, we're now through two draft classes and you have seen versatility in just about every pick. They value versatility. You're not going to find someone more versatile than Troy Anderson. Like this guy, I, I like how you said Taysom Hill. I saw the ringer said uh, Cordero Patterson if he played linebacker. Like, okay, it, it, yeah. That's like, these are the comparisons that people are making. They're comparing Troy Anderson to players that don't necessarily have like a very focused skill set. They yeah. are super like dynamic in a way that is positionless. Almost. Yes. Yes, yeah. almost like in basketball. We talk about how basketball has become positionless. Yep. Well, if 
if you look at these players that we're naming off, they're kind of positionless too. Mm-hmm. But with Troy Anderson, I think something that I was talking to Frank Bush about, who's the Falcons um, inside linebackers coach. Um, he Is that was, where they envision him? As inside yes. linebacker, okay. For right, for right now, I think so. Um, that of course could change. I mean, according to it kind makes of how sense things, though. Right. I look at him because I I kind of see Devondre Campbell a little bit okay, when, I, yeah. when I look at Troy Anderson. Just kind of the same raw mold of clay coming out, but the length is there, the speed is there. You could see him kind of being their tight end eraser if if they yes. can develop him in that skill set. But sorry, continue. No, no, no. So if, when I was talking to Frank Bush, he we were talking about that forty time of his at the combine. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, I, I, it was a four four, and I, I think it was like a four four two. Four four two. That's what I thought. Okay, four, we'll say four four two, and he's at two hundred and forty three pounds, <laughs> and it's like a guy of that size and that build running a four four two is just really exciting. And and you talk about the the inside linebacker room as it is. You know, they parted ways with Foyer. This offseason, I think that Jacksonville just kind of gave Foyer all the money that they could have to get him there. And the Falcons, as we know, were strapped for cash and probably yeah. could could not make make that. But work. good for Foyer. Good get that for money. Foyer. Absolutely go get that bag. I think he's gonna do great things in Jacksonville. Um, but you don't have Foyer anymore. And Foyer right. was such an important part of the defense overall. I mean, he was a leading tackler in the league and <laughs> DMP is really, really valued Foyer and the intelligence that Foyer yes. brought to the position. Um, you still have Deion Jones around. You still have Michael Walker. Um, you go out and get Rashad Evans. Um, and now you have Troy Anderson. And it's a good so four. It's a good, it's a really interesting four because I feel like all four of them add a different element at that position that is going to be really fun, I think, to watch this season. And yeah. especially if they use Troy Anderson in a multitude of ways, then it's exciting. I, I, I understand why people are so excited about Troy Anderson. And then also I know like in his post-draft press conference, he's talking about like raising cattle and like <laughs> all, of, all of these things. And it's just like, he's a cool dude, like freaky athlete, cool dude. People are going to love him. I want to get to Desmond Ritter last. So I'm going to okay. I'm going to ask you your <laughs> I'm going to ask you to summarize your thoughts on day three. Um, the aforementioned uh, Tyler. Ad, Al, is it Algier? Algier. Yeah. Algier. All right. Um, yeah. The aforementioned Tyler Algier, uh, Justin Schaefer, the guard out of Georgia, and then John Fitzpatrick, a tight end out of Georgia. So they got a couple dogs. Got a yes. couple bulldogs. <laughs> I, I think and I like the I like the late day three picks out of Georgia because I think that's as much a culture message. I think that's a lot about the program they're coming from, a lot of competition. They're used to competing against the very best in practice every day. They're used to competing against the very best on Saturdays every day. So it's like you get what they're going with here. Um, But who among the day three picks do you think has the biggest chance to make an impact in 2022? And if your answer is all three, I kind of understand it. Yeah, no, I, (laughs) it's funny. I'm glad that you said that because I was about to say all three. I do think that there's some (laughs) potential to see all three of these guys be a part of what the Falcons are doing in 2022. I'll start with Tyler Algier. I think he's such a fun pick. And it was interesting because when the Falcons took him, um, I got a few texts from a bunch of different people being like, you're going to love him. Like he's Mm. so, he's just so fun to watch. He works hard. I like that he was a walk on that, you know, 
didn't really have a place, played a little bit of linebacker before in the last two years, really owning the running back position. And I I was talking to um, Joel Collier, who's the um, area scout for BYU, and he was saying how Tyler Algier really transformed BYU's offense in a way that had not been done. They are not like a run first, like (laughs) back. Well, they had Zach Wilson. They needed a new identity offensively this past year. Yes. And so they, that wasn't their game. Like Tyler Algier comes in and starts having the production that he did. And it's like, wait a minute. Like we really have something (laughs) here. Let's lean into this. And because they had Tyler Algier, they became more of a balanced, dynamic offense than they were before and I think that's really telling and I think that's why the Falcons really valued him he's not necessarily the fastest running back on the board but he plays hard he works hard he's a bowling ball out there I think that (laughs) is something that is going to be really exciting to see because you know that Cordero Patterson is not your typical running back. You know that about him. And you know that he plays a bunch of different roles for the Falcons and lines up in a bunch of different ways. If you're wanting more of that bowling ball top guy, that is Tyler Algier. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be really fun to watch him in his first year. Um, the two Georgia guys, Justin Schaefer and John Fitzpatrick, first off, really glad that they got some dogs. I saw Terry in the hallway and I was like, Hey, thanks for getting those dogs for me. Like, cause <laughs> if, if people don't know, like they're just for you, Tori. Yeah. They're, they're only for me that Terry was like, we only got these guys for Tori. That's it. Um, no, I'm kidding. He did not say that. <laughs> um, but here's the thing about Justin Schaefer. I think they really like his experience. You, you look at what he was for the Georgia offensive line, not necessarily the flashiest guy on the offensive line, but he mm-hmm. has a lot of experience, particularly at left guard. And I think that was by design. You have to have someone to come in and push Jalen Mayfield. Justin Schaefer is going to do that. Yep. And, and, and not just that, like, I think you look at other guys that the Falcons have brought in across the board. They really are. When I was talking to, to Coach Ledford um, after they took Justin Schaefer, he was really talking about how competitive he wants this training camp to be because they have brought Good. in guys on one-year deals. They, they, I know they haven't picked up Caleb McGarry's fifth-year option. They picked mm-hmm. up Chris Lindstrom's, but not Caleb McGarry. Um, Jalen Mayfield didn't have the best rookie year. Like, I, I really do believe that they are trying really hard at this position group, more than any other position group, in my opinion, to just honestly have these guys beat the crap out of each other, you know, for these starting roles. Arthur Smith, Smith wants some nasty guys up front, some mean guys up front who's going to move that line of scrimmage. They're trying to actively find that. I think Justin Schaefer is a piece of that. Um, so that's him. Now, John Fitzpatrick. I thought that the Falcons were going to take a tight end at some point. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure yeah. when it was going to happen. Um, and so they go out and they get John Fitzpatrick. And here's the thing about John Fitzpatrick. He is not Brock Bowers. Like, I think people, (laughs) like, that's the thing is people watch this Georgia offense and they're like, oh, they have the flashy tight ends. John Fitzpatrick is not a flashy tight end, but that does not mean that he is any less important on this Georgia offense. Uh, you and I both like we. Well, probably he's, he's slightly less important slightly than Brock less, Bowers. Here's the thing. Brock, <laughs> comparatively speaking to Brock Bowers, definitely less important. But in a way that I think 
is overlooked a lot of times. He does the dirty work. He's yes. your blocking tight end. And that does mean a lot to what the Falcons were looking for this offseason at the position. You don't have Lee Smith anymore, who retired last year. Hayden Hurst left in free agency. Um, th- though you've been able to go out and get a couple of guys and bring them in, you obviously still have Kyle Pitts. Like mm-hmm. You could use a, a good blocking tight end who's not going to complain about going out and doing the dirty work that doesn't get any recognition. John Fitzpatrick did that at Georgia. And I think that they valued that type of attitude in a tight end um, when they were kind of thinking about who's on the board with that final pick that they had. Yeah. I mean, first off, Bulldogs love to do the dirty work. So uh, (laughs) draft your Bulldogs. But um, absolutely. I think when you were if you watch John Fitzpatrick play like they didn't even ask him to really do much more than than what he did. But what he did was block at a really high level and Mm -hmm. you have a a team like Georgia who first and foremost wants to establish a run that is what they build their offensive identity around and I think the same thing here in Atlanta I mean I think that's what they would ideally like to create as their offensive identity is a dominant run game first that sets up a pass game and so I wouldn't be shocked if if John Fitzpatrick if we see him being used um in a little bit of a a, kind of that second, third tight end that often gets leaked out on those kind of deep yeah. play action, the, the Kyle Shanahan um, favorite favorite play of his. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I think that there's some potential there, but he's not going to come in and, and even be a Hayden Hurst, you know, and no. so, but in the NFL, you've got to be able to, to catch the ball. You've got to be able to at least beat zone coverages and be a little bit of check down. I expect him to be that bare minimum, um, but he is your blocking tight end, as you mentioned. So, Somebody who could um, be throwing him the ball on one of those checkdowns if he does see the field is Desmond Ritter. Save the quarterback for last. Um, kind of feels like we're not talking enough about Desmond Ritter, uh, e- even though I expect that to change. There's a long, barren wasteland of, of NFL news coming. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to have plenty of time to dive into Desmond Ritter film, break him down. But throughout the draft process, comps were... Two players like Ryan Tannehill, two players like Marcus Mariota. I think there's some interesting comps there with Colin Kaepernick, if you want to kind of dig back Mm -hmm. that far. But that type of player, he's not an athlete in the sense that his athleticism is the first tool in his toolbox, but it's certainly second or third. He's got more more than enough athleticism. I was watching um, a comp the other day where it was basically him simulcast on the 40 with like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and... I'm struggling to pick up the third one, but but basically he was the fastest of the three and they are three quarterbacks considered relatively mobile in the NFL. So the Mm mobility is there. The accuracy is, I think, a little bit of a concern, but the way that I've looked at it is like Josh Allen. And I'm not comparing his skill set to Josh Allen because Josh Allen was a ball of clay where if you ever figured out how to unlock that ball of clay, you were looking at a generational type of talent. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if Desmond Ritter's ceiling is that high, but... I think what teams learned from Josh Allen is that there are certain skill sets that you can improve with better coaching, with more hours spent on the field, just going all in on the game, accuracy, timing, kind of your mechanical stuff. And I think that I think Desmond Ritter is much further ahead mechanically than Josh Allen was coming out of college. But you see the things that you can coach. And to me, some of those pain points are what's present in Desmond Ritter's game that you can fix, that you can mm-hmm. get more out of him. So is that kind of what the Falcons looked at when they saw Desmond Ritter was, yes, there's a player here that's flawed that maybe we wouldn't be willing to take in, in the first or even the second. We're very comfortable with him in the third. And looking at some of the quarterbacks that were still on the board because they had their pick, 
of everybody except for, ironically, Kenny Pickett. Um, <laughs> but they 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 liked Desmond Ritter. I think I see the reasons why. But what did they tell you about you know choosing him over the other quarterbacks, and more specifically his future in this scheme? Yeah. So so first off, I'll, I'll go into kind of what they liked about him. Um, it's funny because I feel like we're talking about this with Grady Jarrett being a locker room guy. Yeah. They believe Desmond Ritter to be a locker room guy. Um, what was it, his quote? It was like quiet confidence or the evil, uh, whatever. Calm, a calm villain or yeah, I think it was calm along villain. Those lines. Gosh, that was a fantastic quote. When Chris Rim wrote <laughs> From a that. quarterback. From a quarterback, nonetheless. When Chris wrote that, I saw it in like our CMS system and I was like, that is fantastic. <laughs> Cannot believe he said that. No, but so I, they believe that he is a good locker room fit. And they believe so because he comes from Cincinnati where he won a lot of games. Mm-hmm. They really, truly thought that it was... And also, another thing, I don't believe that he lost a home game as a starter, um, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> that the fact that and people will say like oh Cincinnati is in a different conference like put him in the SEC blah 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 no like this is a guy who won a lot of games like let's and there's be a real. long lineage of success in the NFL from your your Baker Mayfields yes. to your Johnny Manziel's to your Tim Tebow's to your I'm just like come on like just because you were a good quarterback in the SEC doesn't mean you're going to be a good quarterback in the NFL I think that I I always believe when people say that that's just incredibly right. ridiculous Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray, yeah. Won a lot of games in the SEC. We love Aaron <laughs> Murray, but... <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I just think it's really... Uh, that part of it was very intriguing for this staff because they are wanting a guy who... You know, you just traded away Matt Ryan, who is, we know, the, just the, the pinnacle of professionalism, in yes. my opinion, and stability. And so you trade that away. Now you don't really have a lot of stability at the position... You bring in a guy like Marcus Mariota, who is very respected in the league. Um, You bring in Desmond Ritter, who is very respected at Cincinnati for not just his athletic ability, but the way he commanded the locker room there. That No one can make me believe that that wasn't by design, that you're not thinking (laughs) that in the back of your head. Um, And so I I think that was something that they really liked. I think they liked the mechanics of him. I think they liked his length and his speed and and all of those kind of things. And I I think that they do believe that there's still some untapped potential there. Mm -hmm. Um, But now moving to your next question, the future for Desmond Ritter, it's going to be really, really interesting. And I think that the fact that he got on his post-draft press conference after being drafted to the Falcons and talked for a couple minutes about Marcus Mariota, I thought was fascinating I was like, when he goes on and he's talking about like wanting to emulate Marcus's game and and wanting to be like him and then also like excited to learn from him. And I remember I was talking to some people and they're like, the best person that Desmond Ritter could learn from about being a professional is Marcus Mariota and not not like just like on the field. Yes, of course, but also off the field. I mean, they were really Mm -hmm. excited about that pairing specifically with Marcus and with Desmond Ritter. I think that is very fascinating too when you think about the future of the position group. I think Arthur yeah. Smith was pretty straightforward in being like Marcus is the veteran in here. Like I don't like he has a history with Arthur Smith. Like I think Arthur it, it wasn't saying it but was kind of saying like 
don't think that Desmond's going to come out and be the guy day one. Like, I think he was trying to pump the brakes on people being like overly excited about Desmond Ritter. He still has a lot to learn and you do have Mm -hmm. a veteran in Marcus Mariota there. Um, So I think Arthur in his post uh, in that day two press conference kind of was like, okay, pump the brakes. Yes, we did get a quarterback, (laughs) but there's still a lot that needs to be done. Um, So for the future of Desmond Ritter, I, I will be very interested to see how those two one like work together Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter and how they feed off of each other and learn from each other um but also I'm curious to see how much Desmond Ritter does see the field in 2022 because Marcus Mariota is only here on a two-year deal this is not something that like I I think this quarterback position is going to be in flux for a uh, for a while longer and something that I think about too How much do we think that now that Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter are in the quarterback's room in Atlanta, how much do we actually believe that this time next year the Falcons won't be in the market for a quarterback? I I think that's still such a possibility. Like We have seen crazier things happen with the quarterback position in the last five years than we did the 15 years In the last five months. (laughs) Exactly. In the last five months even. Exactly. And so that to me, it's like, Here's something like if the Falcons have a guy that they still like in the draft next year and they have a top draft pick and have the ability to go and get him and he's their guy, I could see them still doing that. I could see them taking uh, and packaging even Desmond Ritter. I could see them packaging a guy like him in a trade for a veteran Mm -hmm. quarterback. I'm literally not taking that. I'm not taking anything off the table for the Falcons to do at the quarterback position. So So in terms of Desmond Ritter's future, there is a lot that can happen between now and this time next year. All Desmond Ritter needs to do is just go in, learn the playbook, and just try and grow in his own right in his rookie year. If he gets time on the field, take that time and run with it um, to get some film on tape for maybe some some players yeah. who or some some GMs that maybe would like to have had Desmond Ritter in the draft. That's regardless. I don't know what the future is. I say all of that to say that there are still so many options for this organization at that quarterback position. It could be Desmond Ritter long-term. It could be Marcus Mariota long-term. It could be a future draft pick. It could be a trade. At this point, there is nothing, absolutely nothing set in stone with the quarterback position. All options are on the table. It is the fundamental truth of the the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, (laughs) But I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're evaluating all options on this roster now finally applies to the quarterback position. So uh, <laughs> quarterbacks around the NFL, you guys are on notice. Um, Tori, this has been awesome. I thank you so much for, for hopping on and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, are you, you know, I apologize for not knowing the answer to this, but I have been following along with your kind of breakdowns of the scouts and the reasoning for these Falcons draft picks. Have all of those gone out? Um, if so, where can they find them? If not, what is the plan for those? Yes. So um, for the first two days, the first five draft picks, um, I actually did those with video. So um, there are videos clipped together on AtlantaFalcons.com talking about the first five draft picks. And you've got area scouts, you've got position coaches. So those videos for the first five are up on the site. However, those are only about a minute and a half, two minutes of video. There is a lot of stuff that did not make the cut and so for the deleted scenes featured deleted scenes exactly (laughs) all the behind the scenes all the things so i will actually be doing um a story about each draft pick how the falcons found them why they valued them 
um, and kind of what the expectation is for them in the first in their first year in the league. Those stories are going to be sprinkled uh, throughout coverage over the course of the next month. So if you follow me on Twitter at Tori underscore McElhaney, follow along on AtlantaFalcons.com. All of those stories will be written at some point over the course of the next month. I'm really excited. This is kind of my um, something that I'm really excited about because I think these stories are very, very interesting, especially from talking to all of these guys. Um, it, it's going to be, it's a lot of fun. So I think, um, I think people liked the videos. Just know that there is five extra minutes of interview that you did not see that will be going into these, the, um, the written content of these things. So that's, Heck yeah. that's where those are. <laughs> nice. I, I love content like that. Just learning, you know, the going behind the curtain, seeing yes. why they, they felt, cause obviously these guys know so much more than any so of us more. will ever hope to know and it's like hey could you just tell us a little bit and then they say like 13 things and you're just like hold on could you start at number two again right um, let yeah. me take <laughs> I mean, um, but back. there's so much information <laughs> there so i i cannot wait to read all those when they drop um please everybody go follow tori go read all of her great content um and again thank you so much for hopping on absolutely thanks for having me i hope you guys enjoyed that as much as i did again please check out Tori's pieces um, when they drop on all of the work that goes behind each of these picks. I remember one of the very first projects that my boss and I, um, mainly my boss, Matt Zabik, undertook when we started was a get to know the scouts whole series. And he interviewed every single one of the scouts, wrote all of them. I kind of went back behind him to make sure everything kind of checked out and to give it a second eye. But it was so much fun for me to read each of those. I know he had a blast doing each of those. And so I can only imagine uh, the type of, of stuff that Tori is going to have in those pieces. So please go check that out because she has great insight as always. The plan for the podcast uh, moving forward, now that we have kind of hit the dead period a little bit here, if there is big news on the Falcons front, you'll get a podcast from us. Uh, and then on top of that, we're going to try to be a little smart about some of the guests that we get on. Not necessarily a weekly cadence like it has been uh, throughout much of free agency and leading up to the draft because there was content kind of coming each week. There was stuff to talk about, even if we had talked about it 15 times beforehand. I don't necessarily want to run this podcast into the ground. I don't want to run myself into the ground. So we're going to try to get some cool guests on uh, between now and really kind of the start of mini camp, training camp. Uh, and then we will get back into a more weekly cadence. Hopefully, you know, Ovi will come back and, and join me on a, on a more regular basis as we ramp right back up into the season. When training camp rolls around, I know he's going to be really excited and motivated once the pads come back on. Um, but until then, we're going to have some content for you guys. It just may not be as much as you've been getting, but that's fine. Take a break. Summer's here. Go outside. For God's sakes, go outside, go to the pool, get a tan. Um, football will be here when you get back. So will we. Don't forget that today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, Spotify, Apple. You guys know the rest. Please let everybody know where they can find us, just not as regularly as before. And most importantly, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.